This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn, and on behalf of all of us, not just the podcast crew, but on behalf of the entire Best Friends family, I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I have plenty to be thankful for myself, my wife, my family, my awesome cats, and here at Best Friends, I've got the podcast team, Tawny and Amy and Mark and Bethany, Elizabeth, Kayla, and of course, all of my colleagues who have contributed to the podcast in one way or another through ideas or as guests. Just their work and inspiration, it's a huge part of what powers this podcast. And of course, I'm thankful for you for listening to the podcast, but I am thankful for everything you do for the animals. Over the last few months, I've been so lucky to speak to so many experts who are saving lives across the country. So if you haven't listened to previous episodes, I encourage you to so much wisdom. Now, today's episode is a very special one. Another person that I think we are all thankful for, someone who has had a huge impact on the work we do, elevating the conversation about cat behavior. Something clicks and bear just becomes vicious. He'll sink his teeth in your hand. Out of nowhere. This is one of the toughest cases I've ever seen. I'm Jackson Galaxy. I'm a musician by night and a cat behaviorist by day. Make sure you head to the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. You'll find resources related to everything Jackson and I talk about, links to his website with information about all the things he's involved in. And he mentions that he got married to the Best Friends Sanctuary. We put up a photo of that, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Now, without further ado, Jackson Galaxy. Hey, there he is, Jackson Galaxy. Great to see you, man. We're here. Sorry, man. I'm so sorry I was late. No, 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 no. Not a problem at all. I get it. Uh, That's uh, the life of a TV star, I guess, right? So, uh, well, how about that? Let's start there. What is it like to be famous? (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, I don't know. I honestly, I I wouldn't know. I don't know. Some days you feel like people stop you in the street and some days... It, they don't, and I've never really felt famous, so that's good. I think that's 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 a that's a smart way to approach life. Hey, you're very humble, but uh, you know I've seen in action, man. The Best Friends National Conference. There's this like huge coordination it takes to get you from uh, sort of point A to point B. There's like a group of volunteers that have to uh, surround you. Um, like secret service style, just uh, you know, going through like the back hallways of the conference center, uh, because people, rightfully so, go nuts. <laughs> You're funny. I, I honestly, I, okay. So those times, those times, maybe I do, but you know, maybe I don't. Also, because I mean, especially at the Best Friends Conference and things like that, I just I feel surrounded by, by I guess for lack of a better word, my tribe, you know, and and so I, I don't really, I always feel really bad because I don't get to hang out much, you know, um, I don't get to really participate in the way that I'd like to. And every year I say I'm going to, and then I start causing problems, and so I go away. But you know what? It, that Yeah, that's that's great, and I appreciate it. Kind of a fanboy moment, but I think you're famous. Um, 
But, you know, you took this passion, uh, this natural ability to work with cats, and you were able to bring it to an audience that I, you know, I don't think would have seen it otherwise, right? This, I mean, Animal Plan is a big audience. So, you know, maybe at some point there was something, something or someone else, but yeah. you are it and you've been able to mainstream the conversation of cat ownership and, and obviously particularly cat behavior. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that happened. Believe me. I mean, I, I, I honestly, there was a long time where I was like, you know, I'm going to be a famous rock star kind of thing. The one thing I never thought I would be was, you know, like a cat guy who actually broke through. I, but I, but let me tell you something. I mean, it really, it, it really makes me feel good that at least we've broken through. And not just that. I mean, it's not just about mainstreaming cat behavior. It's also mainstreaming the acceptance of men with cats. And I think that that's a really big deal, you know, if anything. That, you know, that to me is so crazy that there's like, we've created some stupid construct about machismo of, you know, animals of what's cool or not cool for for anybody to own. Right. But that's, isn't it funny how we've put together those stereotypes culturally and that cultural element actually is on my list today to talk to you about. But uh, first, I want to know your background. How did you become the cat daddy? If I'm not mistaken, I, I think you were a municipal shelter employee. Yeah, um, I worked for the Humane Society of Boulder Valley in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, I started there in I think it was '93, maybe '94. Really, I was just looking for a job. Um, I, I was just trying to make ends meet as a musician, and and I had worked every crappy job that Boulder had to offer. And I, I was just drained by that experience. You know, it wasn't the it failing to break through as a musician. It was it was that. And I, when the, the job opening happened, it, it just seemed like, wait a minute, I can do something here. Um, and at the end of the day, go home and not feel like crap, you know. And <laughs> speaking of which, that was the job, you know, scooping crap, you know, and, and, and whatever. But I was happy. It made me happy right off the bat. And then I, I think I had been there for maybe a couple of weeks and, you know, we had this room where we would have our breaks and whatever, and we would let out some of the cats because of course at that point everybody was in cages and uh, just to sort of mingle a little bit, we would socialize or whatever. And they suddenly just started flocking to me. <laughs> they just started like, you know, just zooming in on me. And that was it. I wasn't really a cat guy. I wasn't, I, I had been around cats, but, you know, it, it was very clear that if they picked me, that I better do something, right? Because we were killing a lot of cats, a lot of cats. And uh, just as a single shelter, let alone the entire front range of Colorado, literally, you know. And so it, I just dove in and brought whatever, you know, I had to offer. And I'm not a scholar. I just brought what I had to offer. And and then from there, just gathered information and techniques and invented some stuff along the way or bastardized some stuff along the way, whatever was going to save lives. So you get on TV, uh, I, I, show business. I think a lot of people probably grow up wanting to be actors, wanting to be famous, wanting to be on TV, but you know, not the case for you, right? And TV in this regard, you're not a guy 
on a, a sitcom or a, a leading man in, in action movies, which I think a lot of us would pay for that actually, but <laughs> you're out there, you're like the spokesman for something, a topic which at times emotional, emotionally charged that wasn't being talked about and you became the guy. I cannot imagine, Jackson, how difficult that must be. Like, do you ever just stop and go, you know, like, what on earth? Like, what on earth? How did I get here? I I had many moments like that. Um, I, I I didn't realize until my cat from hell came closer and closer to being how self destructive I am. Of course, I have a long history of being self destructive. I mean, I wrote a whole book about my my addiction issues and and all that, and how many times I almost killed myself over the years. You know. Um, and just the lifestyle I was lead, leading, I didn't realize it until my cat started getting closer to happening that I, I would just try to blow it up, you know, um, and how I just didn't think that being on TV was true to the to the craft, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call it. I didn't feel like it was fair to ask cats to be on camera. I didn't feel... I, I didn't, I, and of course the name horrified me, but I, you know, up until like five weeks before the show went on, I thought the name was going to be Cat Daddy. And then all of a sudden they were like, no, it's going to be called My Cat from Hell. And I almost had a coronary, you know, well, just because I knew that, that my, you know, my rescue people would just never stop giving me crap about. It. So anyway, it, the whole thing horrified me. It was my, my wife, as time went on, was the one to remind me that, that there was a greater good involved, that lessons learned about not just uh, the well-being of cats, but TNR, about adoption, about breeding, about all those things that we, I would sneak in were important. But, but here's the funny thing. One of the, 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 the best moments I can remember in this thing I think the first season had just come and gone. Maybe it was just the first season. And I was I was in Kanab, and it was my first visit to Kanab. And it was some kind of fundraising thing. And I was outside watching the sunset with Silva, Batista. And, and I said to Silva, like, I just, I don't know that I can do this. I, all I want to do is come here and just work with your cats because it's what I do with this whole thing. She said, I'm not going to ever try to mimic her accent. But she, you know, she says, well, Jackson, you can't do that. We need you out there. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, I, it, it was interesting. But very long answer, John, is that I love what I did on my cat for all those years. I mean, we did 100 episodes. That's 200 families plus specials and and some bigger projects and I loved it. And I love it even more now that we're in quarantine and I'm like, dude, I got, I got to get off the plane. <laughs> like I got to go out there. I got to, I got to be with people and with cats and it's been, that's been tough, but yeah. Well, since we're there, let's jump to quarantine life. I'm interested in your take on this. I've, I've been working from home forever, like over 10 years. Um, but my wife has been home since whatever March um, for started a hundred percent of the time for a few weeks. Yeah. And for us, I think the cats loved it. We enjoyed it. It was great. <laughs> um, but now she started to go back once, uh, you know, twice a week. Yeah. And 
you can very clearly see how it's throwing the house, everything out of whack. And the difference, uh, it's amazing just how they react to that. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's a small change, but obviously it's not. I mean, for them, it's a huge change. Yeah. It's just so interesting how it shifts the, the whole dynamic of the house. And what, how many cats do you have? Oh, so we've got four. Uh, just to be clear, I swore to myself, Jackson, that this would not become a like personal cat behavior consult. <laughs> but we've got uh, Ralph, who's sort of a, I don't know, like a semi, semi-feral. We've got uh, a Carl, who's a cat who's returned twice for being too friendly, if you can believe that. Yeah. And uh, he, the love actually can be a little oppressive. And then we've got two that are siblings. Bob is a Siamese, so he's pretty quirky uh, just by nature. And then Tina, our little miracle, Tina has a heart murmur. Um, she, we took her thousands of dollars in Michigan State uh, to get it checked out, and uh, she kind of stumped the doctors. But she's, uh, yeah, over two years and, and defying the odds. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I, and honestly, I can't tell you how many people uh, have contacted me because First going into quarantine, now starting to maybe transition out of it. And and I, I think one of the most interesting things was going in, how we just didn't pay close enough attention because, you know, well, not you because you work from home all the time, but you don't know them as well as you think you do um, because you don't spend every waking moment in your house for the most part. I just thought it was really intriguing how it was a, it was an opportunity to get people more invested in cat lives uh, because they're not just there and you get home from work and you're tired or whatever and you get some love or you don't and uh, you go to bed. So I, I thought that, that was a great opportunity. And I think it was reflected in the amount of people that adopted and fostered in that first rush that happened. That was astounding. Astounding. Absolutely you know? astounding. Totally agree. But I, I think it speaks to the thing that, that we know, which is if you ask the public for help, they step up. You know, though, I got to say, though, come on now. We've been asking them for help for years and years. And yes, it happens, but not like it happened. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But don't you think that's um, like a reflection of the sense maybe, um, you know, of urgency that we've given it? COVID, for shelters across the country, every day, every week, is a COVID type situation, right? We need animals out of the shelter. We just haven't said it that way. And and this time we did. And, you know, look what happened. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though. I mean, you can say, depending on the organization, I mean, here municipal shelters in LA, the county and city shelters, they're always saying, we need you to foster today. We've got kittens coming out of our ears. We got, you got, or, or else, you know? And that motivates people to some degree. But you're right, though, that this whole thing of the shelters are closing. There's no place for incoming, for outgoing. Nobody knows what they're doing or we haven't figured it out yet. Help. And the step up level was I, I was just I was just incredibly impressed. And, and I um, continue to be. One of the things I keep hearing these stories from shelters and organizations across the country, you know, it's not just, uh, that people are stepping up to foster and, you know, first time fosters, you know, if we think about taking action, um, I always think of it as like a ladder of engagement, right? So the lowest possible point is like somebody 
likes or comments on, you know, a social media post. And then the higher they go up, maybe they're volunteering and then fostering. But these first time fosters with COVID, they're not just looking for a, you know, highly adoptable, cute, eight week old, Instagrammable kitten. They're, they're taking neonates. Right. People are like, hell yeah, show me how to bottle feed and I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Now that to me is just incredible. It is incredible. And, and, and it's funny cause I, I haven't been able to follow up with a lot of like what happens with a lot of these first time fosters that they wind up sort of foster failing or whatever and, and keeping them or, you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens happens as long as they stay alive. But I think that that was a moment that we could have as humans chose to just clamp down and just go into turtle mode. And we didn't, we were expansive in that moment. I, I, I it was really reassuring. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that the numbers are still bearing that out. I think that there's been this ongoing, of course, we as humans are getting <laughs> weirder as, as this. Hey, are you calling me weird? Nothing wrong with being weird, but, but we as a whole are getting weird as we have to stay home longer and longer and longer. And there's no end in sight and we're scared and we do weird things when we're powerless and, but I, I think by and large, the feedback I've been getting and, and the cool thing is, you know, I've got just as large an audience now digitally as I had during the show. except I had that back and forth, which is really cool. And the questions are what the questions always were, um, maybe even a little more informed. But the conversations that we've been having, I think, have been really positive all the way along. Jackson, earlier you mentioned the name of the show. And mm-hmm. if you're OK with it, I do want to circle back to it. You said you didn't pick it. I figured that was the case. An earlier episode of the podcast, we talked to um, Christy Metropole from Stray Cat Alliance in L.A. We talked about the cultural, I don't know, man, like slant almost, I guess, in the way that cats are portrayed, mm-hmm. the way the public talks about them, the perception of cat ownership, what it's like. And listen, I totally get the marketing appeal of that title. And I don't think it was from a place of like cat hate, but overall it's, you know, it's just another one of these things where I think you add them up and we really don't make cats sound like very fun pets. Do we like, like dogs are man's best friend and cats are, uh, you know, mean, aloof. They don't care about you. Uh, There's, we make them sound like terrible companions. Like, again, I'm not trying to cast uh, aspersion on you uh, and the show. That's not at all what I mean. But I think it, it sort of does speak to this larger societal issue we have when it comes to uh, relating to cats. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, I was horrified by it, but I'll tell you what, the explanation of it. And also, I mean, you know, I was allowed to produce from the get-go. You know, it was part of the whole deal. So they weren't going to go forward with it if it was it was just a non-starter. And it was at the moment. But then I was like, I, I got to get in somehow, you know, and cats have to get in somehow. And let me just give you an example. The show was... And it was just, you know, a matter of like, oh, I met this person, then this person, and then we pitched it, and boom, there it was. 
which is actually was, was that fast. It was maybe a couple months. We filmed the pilot on a shoestring. It got picked up and then it sat there and it sat there for almost a year, I think, because they couldn't find advertisers because I really do think that the advertising community as a whole was nervous. Like do cat people actually spend money to buy things? Do they buy things other than litter? And so the first two years of the show, we, like our only sponsors were like Swiffer and just, you know, stuff to like clean up after cats. They were scared because the, the, the cat community was such an unknown entity. So when the name of the show, number one, if you watch every episode of the show, you'll always see that within about five minutes, I pinpoint that it's the people and not the cats. So that always happens. All of that nonsense that I had to deal with the first couple of years, with just audience building and ratings building and whatever I did, what I had to do, I guess. But what they told me was there's never been a cat show for a pretty decent reason because, you know, the demographics don't bear out that there's ever going to be an audience. What we need to do is make it so that when someone's flicking around the channels, they see this name, they've never even come in contact with a cat before. They're like, Ooh, that looks good. And to be able to pull people in that, you know, may have just thought they were going to watch something about a hellacious cat. It, I, listen, it tortured me, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I still think that we have, conversations about cats that are still sort of square one conversations. I, I, I call it looking at cats through dog colored glasses and considering them as failures because they're not dogs. They don't act like dogs. They don't, you know, that's why there's a dog whisper and even a horse whisper, but there's, you know, whatever I was. And, and I just, I really, I'd love to say that we've gotten to a much better place with it but maybe we're on square two now. I mean, I, I think it's really hard to get people invested when they've got a preconceived notion of what a cat is, or they have expectations of what, you know, a companion animal should act like. Once they realize that a cat doesn't cater to and depend on their every move, they get kind of offended. You know, it is what our relationship with companion animals have always been. Their dependence on us to, to a degree is one of the things that bonds us, I suppose. So it's been an uphill battle, for sure. Um, but I think we've made some headway. Hey, sorry, man. I just want to reiterate there that my goal was not to make you feel badly or guilty because uh, I don't think there's a fault there at all. Oh, no, 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 no not at all. No, no, no. I'm, I do a very good job of that myself, man. I'm, I'm very good at it. TV's TV is <laughs> TV. There's competition for eyeballs, uh, right. like a bazillion channels these days. Um, but it, it just, to me, it, it ladders up to this point that the way society perceives cats. Right. And, I, and I, I think what's really interesting and really something that made me feel really good over time was that, uh, you know, and, and let's say, I mean, Animal Planet made, took a real flyer on this one. Granted, that first season was like, that was a flyer, you know, but uh, as we went on, but what was really interesting was to see, you know, as my sort of Facebook grew over the years and all the, the, the social media, that at first it was always like railing against like, first it was like, oh my God, I can't believe that cat was so crazy. Then it was, I can't believe these humans are so crazy. And then towards the end, it just became about 
you know, segments we would do called My Cat from Heaven or anything that was more advocacy, feral cat the issues, all of a sudden people wanted more of that. And it, I think it was fitting that the last episode we did was the one that I was fighting for for like a long time, but that, you know, I guess they were a little scared of it, but that was where we went to Philadelphia and we sort of integrated ourselves into the world of community cats in, in, um, in Philly. And just, it was a big TNR episode and it was community building and it was getting to know ferals and, and community cats. And it was to this day, the one that I read more about than any other episode. People just, it took that long for people to not just invest in cats in your house, but take it that other step where these are cats who want zero to do with you that are living under your car. And yet we got an audience towards the end that was one of our largest audiences and they you know, fell for them. You know, one of the, here's something no one's ever heard before, John. This is a first, it's an exclusive. Getting the the network to sign off. And everything I'm saying here is understandable, you know, not coming from, you know, 20 years of cat advocacy work that they said, uh, we don't know how to put this show together in terms of pitching it to the public because the end of the show is not that red bow moment where, there's a cat in someone's lap and everything is solved. Your vision of success is opening traps and having them run out, you know, but, you know, I think that we, we showed that that, that can be accomplished. People can have empathy for, for community cats in a much realer way. So there you go. I mean, it was a big arc that I think in the end actually helped um, expand the dialogue. I hope anyway. Since we're there, I think that was a good segue into the community cat issue, uh, feral cats, return to field, community cat programs. I, overall, I mean, I, you know this, it's bleak for cats across the country. Uh, with uh, last year's data, every dog killed in a shelter, two cats are killed. Again, that's nationally. And I think a lot of communities, the numbers are, you know, probably much worse than that. So, we know that return to field programs save lives, uh, struggle, not just with public perception. I'm saying there's a struggle even amongst those of us in the field yeah. over, you know, the, the idea that we're trapping, neutering and returning a friendly cat. It's just not, it's not universally accepted, right? I mean, that, but that cat is very likely owned either by one person or oftentimes several people in the neighborhood. It, we're taking away those pets. It's breaking the bond, the human-animal bond. It's also counterintuitive because they'll just go get another cat. Yeah. Uh, so how are we commun- How do we communicate that, that a cat outside is okay? Right. I mean, I think, you know, I think there's work being done right now on the shelter level. And, of course, you guys have, have done a lot of this as well where we <clears throat> reimagine what sheltering looks like so that we sort of interrupt this cycle of bringing a cat. Thank you for bringing the cat. Cat goes in a cage. I think being able to sort of interrupt the cycle at the door or outside the door of a shelter and say, wait a minute, just letting you know, this is what's going on here. I, I, I just think that, that, you know, I can say it's all about education, but honestly, it, it, it's a real gray area. Here's a good example. We are all still learning. We're all still navigating our, our own world as advocates. I, I feel like 
over the past couple of years, there's been a bit of a demonization of the word feral, and it bugs the hell out of me. Like, I love feral cats. Like, feral cats. Ones that, that yes, they fall into the, the bigger shell of community cat, but, you know, it's just I just think the word got a bad rap. And instead of embracing it, we just change terminology or start burying the terminology. And that, that bothers me, because... If you don't understand what a feral cat is, then you're not going to understand what a friendly is, and you're not going to understand what a community cat is. You've got to start somewhere. And I think that, that we've had a hard time as a whole being able to explain this in a real concerted way. You know that when we were doing that last episode of, of uh, My Cat in Philly, and I was really, I was really nervous because this was you know an hour-long special, and I really just wanted to make sure I hit all of my sort of welfare notes and you know and there was this one sort of those little interview bits you know the little five second ten second interview bit where i'm asked to define what a community cat is and i was like yeah, okay and i called everybody i called everyone i knew that i was like okay tell me what this is just so i could get a poll nobody said it the same way twice and that's a problem so if we can't nail it then we can't ask the public to nail it either. And I, I just, you know, it's, I, I wish I had a really good answer on this one. Um, there's a lot of times where we're figuring out what a, a friendly cat is versus a feral once they've hit any kind of an institutionalized environment. Good luck with that sometimes. It's hard. Um, so, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> Believe me, it's not easy. I think you're totally right uh, and dead on about trying to make the distinction for the public. You know, I assume I'm not privy to these types of conversations, but I assume that's what community cat was meant to do is take all of these categories that, you know, are muddled enough for us and try to bring them together to say truly feral, stray, unowned, stray, owned, outdoor cat, but just say to the public, it doesn't matter which group the cat in front of you is in, that cat is there. It's community, lives in your community, deserves to live. And that I think is a huge point for me. Cats are resilient uh, when they're managed and cared for, fixed, fed. They can, they're not only surviving outside, they can thrive. And again, if we're doing it right, some of the concerns like wildlife predation, we can, we can manage that. And I I think that, that, you know, and look, there are a lot of extreme beliefs about this. There are people who think that it's better to not be alive than to be out there, which I think is absurd. I think if you really care, you make their life as good as you can make it. You build winter houses in the winter. You take the cues from so many people who have done so much work in terms of making sure they have access to food and water during the winter months and warmth if they need it. And, and, you know, making sure that you're doing whatever you can for your colony uh, in terms of just maintaining. But the idea that they all belong someplace that's not where they are is a fantasy. And there's millions and millions of them on the street. And our, our real goal should be at this point to... Let's make it so that in 10, 15 years, we're not dealing with having to ask these questions as much as we have to. Now, let's, let's really put all of our, our efforts into TNR. And, and But it's weird. You know, I got to say, I, you know, we have 
at the moment. God, I had to think about it. Uh, seven cats in the house. That's it? Seven? It, it depends, man. Right now we're fostering two, so it's nine. Three dogs, uh, turtle, a couple of chickens. Anyway, so, um, but we have our feral community outside as well. And, you know, we have a rotating cast of about five or six over the years, uh, and we have a pretty big catio. So if we know that a cat's not going to, because of age or injury or whatever, they're not going to make it, then we can bring them to the catio and try to introduce them. But there was this one guy who was, he was our heart, man. I mean, we adored this cat, Eddie, tremendously. And he's been coming around since he was about, probably about a year and a half old. And his twin brother's out here, too. Uh, and we tried, man. We tried because, you know, we could pick him up. We could pet him after, you know, it took about a year. But every time we tried to bring him in, it was like one of those horror movies where all of a sudden, like, heads are spinning around and they're crawling up the ceilings and whatever. He literally crawled up the ceiling, wedged himself out in ways that we just never thought possible. Anyway, we tried six, seven times. And he went missing about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we think he was, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I think he was just ill. And, you know, and when we found him, it was just, we mourn him today the way we mourn any of our cats. And it's still, it's just, it's really painful. But we gave him the best life that we could give him, knowing that that was his life. That was his choice. He wanted out there. He did not want in here. And we would have made him miserable. And I think that at the end of the day, just respecting the needs of these individual cats and maybe not trying to spend all of our time labeling and maybe just thinking about what is what are these individuals want. We had another one who came around here a couple weeks ago. Of course, when Eddie died, you know, nature hates a bit vacuum. He was keeping a lot of other cats away and all of a sudden. But one of them was the tamest tame cat ever. Like we had a hard time keeping him out. We'd go out there to feed, and he would just get really... And he wasn't neutered. We put signs all over the neighborhood, took pictures of him, did that whole thing. Nobody claimed him. We couldn't bring in another cat into this place, especially one who wasn't neutered yet. Um, it would just upset the apple cart in a pretty horrible way around here. And so uh, we, we you know, uh, had a friend at a local rescue help us place him. But that's just like, that was an individual. He let us know very clearly what he wanted. And we just couldn't give it to him, so we made sure that somebody else did. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, no, no. You, you're totally making sense. I think when you said it's about respecting the individual needs of the cat, I think is the way you put it. It's such a succinct and, and perfect way of saying it. You mentioned best friends uh, earlier, the sanctuary out in Utah, and one of the founders, uh, Silva Batista, I uh, also will not try to do. Uh, her English accent. Uh, the sanctuary is an incredible place. Really is. Anyone who who goes there, you see it, you feel it. Hey man, I got married there. Oh, that's right. I've seen the the photos. Like it was in like People magazine or something. I think. And that's that's how famous you are, man. Your wedding photos go in People. But the, the sanctuary is the heart of what we do uh, and who we are. Right. But I think. And I need to be careful here, I think, on how I frame this out because I might get in trouble. But personally, on some level, I think that the sanctuary provides an almost um, unreal expectation. You know, people will say, well, we just need a best friends in every state. All cats should be at a place like Cat World. Well, yeah, 
that would be great, but it's not feasible. And not all cats need that, right? Like you're talking about individual cats. So to an extent, it's almost like it unintentionally drives a narrative of what a good home is, right? What standards of care, like if a cat is healthy and loved and cared for, but lives outside in a big city, that cat doesn't need to be in a, in cat world in Utah at the sanctuary. Right. Right. I mean, is that nuts? And well, no, it's not nuts at all. No, no. It's, and, and not only is it not nuts, it puts it, like you said, the burden then that it puts on you guys on other more larger scale cat uh, sanctuaries uh, or rescues. Like uh, the only one that comes to my head is cat's house of the Kings, where you've got 800 cats, you know, and 27 fenced in acres or whatever. But people just want to drop their cats off or drop ferals off or do whatever, as opposed to taking ownership of the issue. And I think you're right. I think, uh, as you probably know, I mean, the thing that frustrates trappers more than anything is when someone says, hey, I've got 12 cats that, you know, I just moved into a new house, got 12 cats back here. Help me. Well, we can hear, we can loan you traps, teach you how to do this. Wait, you want me to do this? You do it. I think that that we have to spend more time getting folks invested themselves into saying, no, 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 these guys belong here in your neighborhood, in your community. This is where they belong. But if you don't want 35 of them in a couple of months, you better learn the, the what's actually pretty simple, you know. But uh, I, And I think it's worth mentioning that we're, we need to, to continue building the movement uh, and TNR, I mean, a lot of people, that was their entry into animal welfare, right? I mean, my wife, cat lover, looked around her neighborhood like 20 years ago and saw these cats and was like, what is the deal with these cats? And that sent her on her way. And to get people engaged, you know, as he said, we can help them trap. And, and then they see the impact for themselves. So as we're pushing to no-kill 2025, we need all hands on deck. We need more hands, new hands, uh, and trapping. What a great way uh, for for cat lovers to get involved to 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 help in in that bigger way. It's, it's you know we we do something called cat camp, um, which now we're we're doing virtual cat camps, which is actually great because the engagement is so much greater. I mean, we used to just do it in New York, and we, you know we get. Five, six, seven thousand people over a weekend, but that's great. Just a bunch of New Yorkers, which is great. We were trying to, you know, be a, a resource for the community uh, and, and and grow the community. But now doing it out there. But one of the cool things is, and the ones, the guys that we call the cat cam counselors, you know, whoever comes in to teach classes or do talks or whatever panels uh, in each session, we started to talk about it amongst ourselves, and then started putting it out there to everybody else. We all shared that. None of us, not one of us, went into this saying, I'm going to be a dot, dot, dot. We just tripped into it. And suddenly it became, because we allowed it to happen, it became part of our bones. All of a sudden it's who we were. Everybody. I, I, I don't know very many people who just purposefully were like, when I grow up, I want to be, you know, now it's different. Now it's different. But, you know, 10, 15 years ago, even it really wasn't. And I think it was the same story. My wife is the same story that it wasn't until she moved to this house here that suddenly she realized this place was overrun and she just asked the right questions, went to the right people and became a high volume trapper 
and a humane educator and a foster parent and whatever. So it's a, available to everybody. And I don't think it should be as daunting as I think it might seem uh, at this point. Um, and maybe that's another thing that we learned during the, the pandemic here is that any level of engagement is going to save a life, you know, and, um, and I think people are learning that. Hey, I just looked at the clock and realized how long we've been going uh, can you stick around for a bit? I know we're kind of coming mm-hmm. up to time. I can go a few minutes left. Awesome. Definitely want to make sure we talk about the the foundation work, Jackson Galaxy Project, and also have some listener questions. But right. why don't we start with the, the foundation, the project? Yeah. Um, it, first of all, I mean, we, we started um, the Jackson Galaxy Foundation, I believe started about six years ago, maybe even more now. And it was funny because all my friends were like, if you really want to just kill yourself, start a, a nonprofit because it'll eat you alive. And I was like, no, no, man, this is my time. I can do this now. We, I got a 501c3 faster than I thought I could, got staff on board, and then, yeah, it ate me alive. And then I, I merged with Greater Good, not Greater Good Charities, and, uh, and so it became the Jackson Galaxy Project. Cat Positive had already started well before I, I merged with Greater Good. And the basic idea was taking what I had learned back in the day, which was I learned how to help cats in shelters uh, with the help partially of a dog trainer because I didn't I didn't have any freaking resources back then, you know. And, and we had a dog trainer on staff who was just very understanding uh, where we were struggling. And by her teaching me how to click or train cats, we instantly made them more adoptable. We got them braver in cages, more willing to face their audience, so to speak. And it was just something that I felt like never caught on in a, in a real way uh, in shelters. And so I just wanted to bring that concept out in a, in a larger way. And I never thought it was going to have the, honestly, I really didn't think it was going to have the impact that it has now. That whole thing, you know, at first it was all about high fives. It was, you know, teaching cats high fives. And that was like, <laughs> that was my my big aha moment back in, in my shelter was I got this this cat who was scheduled to be euthanized that day. And it was only because she was scared. And she was a black cat too. And that combination was not a good one, uh, especially in a cage. And I was able to clicker train her. And I'm not a great clicker trainer, just by the by. Just not, I'm just not great at it. But... I was able to clicker train her in one day to go from, you know, head to the corner of the back of the cage, turn around, come to the front of the cage, and then a high five through the bars. And then I had other staff members do the same thing where they would walk by and get the cat to do a high five through the bars. So what happens is we open up the adoption area. We give her one day. Here, just let me get her in adoptions for one day. We get her in the second adoptions open because she's expecting some kind of treat or whatever. People walk in and she's like, hand through the bars, high five, high five. How long do you think it took before somebody was like, oh my God, this cat loves me, <laughs> you know? And she went home within like an hour. It was a real sort of watershed moment. So anyway, uh, Cat Positive has now grown. We have, I believe we have alumni of Cat Positive and what we call Cat Positive Pro from over 200 rescues and shelters, thousands of adoptions, and, and of course, people paying it forward uh, in their community. So that's been amazing. We also have Operation Homeward Bound, which is our fledgling transport program, as well as Operation Catification, 
which is to help with uh, environmental enrichment. And, and what's been really interesting is that we've been able to sort of pivot all of these things to people at home because right now, you know, doing shelter programs like this, not the easiest thing. So, you know, it's just opening up a whole new path for people who already have cats in their lives. But yeah, I mean, uh, the project has been what I always wanted to do anyway. And I feel like if, if, you know, as we circle back to the whole celebrity thing, if it's got me any kind of currency over the years, being able to really get the word out. And I, I really would like to see a fundamental global shift to how we work with cats in rescue. And I think there's a lot of things that I'd like to still bring to the game. So looking forward to it. That's so cool, man. You know, another important program want to have you talk about is safe haven Can you talk about that yeah uh, safe haven is also um it's funny how a lot of the programs in greater good sort of crisscross and safe haven is also um it's sort of a joint project between jackson galaxy project and rescue rebuild and uh it really is about whether it's catifying dogifying or both it's about environmentally enriching and building areas within uh different types of shelters. We've done um, domestic abuse shelters as well as homeless shelters. Basically knowing that, uh, especially in, in instances of domestic abuse, that the person in the relationship who needs to get out usually won't leave if they know they have to leave their animal companion behind. So when you talk about building a shelter environment where somebody feels like, okay, I now have the means and the courage and the, you know, the support to leave this abusive situation, caring for animals was a big part of that. And so I think with the work that we've been able to do with Safe Haven, we're, again, it's about, it's, we're not going to solve the problem, uh, but we can help eliminate a path forward that says just by doing this, um, you're creating a, an extra sort of layer of safety and the ability for people to leave abusive situations, you know? There's plenty of homeless who would be happier to sleep on the street with their animal than to be in a shelter without them. And so I think that Safe Haven's also helped in that respect as well. Okay, so time for Best Friends Podcast listener questions. Okay, we're going to start with Jenna. She wants to know, uh, her mom adopted a 14-year-old cat from Best Friends five years ago. So 19 years old today. She wants to know about care for seniors. What is the latest we know in terms of, of health, uh-huh. uh, both physical and emotional? And great question because November is Adopt a Senior Cat Month. Um, so there you go. Um, and I think that we have gotten a lot better with this. Um, and, and it's reflected in the fact that cats are living longer lives than they ever did before. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think our, our care for them, our proactive care for them, not just taking them to the vet uh, when they show symptoms, but making sure that we have baseline um, knowledge of what their insides are doing uh, on a year-to-year basis, I think is really important. I think nutrition has been a real big part of this whole thing. Um, I think the knowledge of what makes a cat tick, both behaviorally and nutritionally, I think has been uh, a big reason behind this. There is no mistake that we've added on years on the average to cat lives. And, and that does help to get seniors adopted, by the way, because I think, you know, in a way it's, it's tough for people. You think that just because I'm adopting a 14-year-old that I'm 
a hospice volunteer, you know, and that's not at all the case. I love the fact that I was able to, for years, uh, talk about one of my nearest and dearest cat companions, Valoria, who, when she passed about a year and a half ago, was 26. Of course, that's not usual. That doesn't happen a lot. And I was blessed uh, to have a cat for almost half my life. But I, I think really a lot of it is just just adapting. I think, you know, the concept of adaptive care where, you know, you just give cats what they need. Environmentally, it's about realizing your cat's not going to want to jump off counters at 14. They're not going to have the same level of steadiness about them. As they lose things like their hearing or their vision or their coordination, they're going to become less and less confident about their territory. You know, especially in a multi-cat household or multi-anything household, cats define in part their confidence from how much of their own, of their territory they feel like they own. And so naturally, losing their prowess uh, has an effect on them. But we can adapt to that environmentally and also from a more holistic standpoint with care to just minimize it, you know? You know, maybe it was even a couple of years ago, five years, ten years that the idea of bringing your cat in for acupuncture, for cold laser treatment, you know, whether it's it's just Tellington Touch or massage or any of these sort of modalities that can help your cats live a better, longer life. Not just longer, but a better, longer. We kind of scoffed at years ago, but I think that's now gaining a lot of traction as well. And I think what one thing that's really important to remember is just cats are just much more stoic about pain and discomfort than dogs are. We're used to being a little more reactive with our dog companions. They sort of go, oh, this hurts, you know, and we're off to the vet. Cats will not show you that. You know, showing weakness in the cat world betrays a lack of ownership and territory. So assuming that your cat is not going to be the same inside and out that they were five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, once they hit a certain age, I think is really, really important. Um, and then again, the last thing was nutrition. And I just, I, it's one of my crusades, uh, the concept of serving a bio-appropriate diet to your cats. It, they will live their longest, best life if they eat what they're supposed to eat. Um, they are obligate carnivores. They should be eating meat. You know, I'd love to get cats away from dry food. I'd love for them to eat raw diets or wet diets at the very least. It helps them live a longer life. Okay, so keeping COVID restrictions in mind, particularly with this one, we've got limited time and resources, right? So Jennifer wants to know what is the best use of time to help cats in shelters get adopted? Um, she had a caveat there, which is to exclude fostering from the answer because we know that. But focus on what we can do in shelters, in that environment. What are the best ways to help cats uh, who are waiting for a home? I mean, you know, again, one of the things that when we were talking about the kind of sort of global changes I wanted to see in, in sheltering when it comes to cats is the importance of play. I don't want to see people just go in and spend time with cats, meaning I'm going to pet you and brush you. That's great. And then that's, that shows it's a nice way to create a bit of the human-animal bond, for sure. But cats mimicking their hunting behavior, playing, is, to me, the single most important thing you can do with them. 
is to keep that part of what I call the raw cat mind, keep that mind active and give them a sense of purpose while they're still uh, in a shelter, I think is crucial. Taking them to an empty room for 10 minutes with an interactive toy. And, you know, and when I say interactive, you know, the wand toys, the feathers, the worms, whatever, and just getting them to move around, to follow something, to track it, I think is really important. I think the other thing when it comes to volunteering with cats is that the more you can identify what I call their challenge lines. So for instance, and we saw this a lot back in the day in my shelter, was that men were often a lot more scary to animals than, than women were. So getting a man into a room with a cat so that that man can demonstrate trustworthiness um, is really important. Uh, Getting kids in there, uh, getting different types of experiences. So it's not just a matter of getting a cat out of the shelter. It's making sure that when they get out, or to the best of our ability, get out of the shelter, that we're setting them up to overcome challenges. Because it's not all unicorns and rainbows when they get into their new home. It's a lot of challenge. And we got to do our best to get to the point where if we pass on information to new homes, hey, listen, Chester really digs this toy and he really digs this kind of a treat. And, you know, if you do this and this and this, if you block off the unders, if you block off the under of the bed and if you block off um, the closets, don't let him in there. You're not going to see him for a week. When you're forming a base camp for a cat when they get into the new home, this is what he likes. So getting to know cats on individual bases, I think that's really, really important. You know, so there's a lot of things you can do. And then there's networking, things that don't require you even stepping foot into the shelter. But you can bring what makes you special in your community into the community of cats. You can, if you're somebody who does marketing, market. You know, if you're somebody who who can you know, help build, build, you know what I mean? Take some of the, of the ideas that we put across with catification and just build for these cats, get them off the ground. There's a lot, you know, but it doesn't require any specific knowledge base for you to start doing something, you know? All right. So this one is uh, personal. Uh, my wife, I asked her what uh, the question she would have for you, and this is what she asked. So uh, since I got you here, our cats, as I said, we have four it's like they've created, Jackson, this like, I don't know, toilet etiquette. So if you go downstairs right now, they've decided that these litter boxes are for pee and these are for poop. It's not 100% because you're, you're going to see a poop in the pee. But <laughs> what in the world is that about? You know, and it's, that's one of those things that's really a house-to-house type of situation. Here's the thing that I can tell you is that for every study that's been done on cat group dynamics, there's 40 that haven't been done. Or for all of them that have been done, we do not have answers. Whether it is their system of time management and time sharing and resource sharing and food sharing and litter box sharing, all of the ways they define their environment and the sanctity in their territory and how that happens with other cats we know very little about and in so in your case it's a way for the four cats to go this is how we deal not just with our litter boxes but this is how we deal with each other vis-a-vis these litter boxes um because that's definitely not the case in my house there's pee and poop everywhere 
Well, I mean, in litter boxes, thank God. But yeah, I mean, you know, with these cats, with seven cats, there is everything everywhere, you know, but that's just here. In our house, they spend a lot more energy on favored window spots and how do we rotate and who owns what and that kind of thing. But honestly, one of the things that I love personally, one of the things that really just keeps me ticking with cats, it's a constant mystery. It's constant puzzle. It's like trying to figure out why human number one in the house uses one bathroom all the time and not the other. You know, it's just, they are as complex as we are. And I think that that's really magnificent. Magnificent. Damn right about that. So, uh, I mean, uh, two of ours, Jackson, they're siblings, right? And for a year, over a year, they were inseparable. They slept together. They groomed each other. And not only are we not doing that anymore. In fact, you know, here we are a little over two years. And now we're just deciding to randomly hiss at each other. So, um you know, I, and I feel like if you give it another couple of weeks, they're going to be back uh, in thickest thieves. It's it can be really confusing. But but that, you think about it though for a second, and and I think this is one of those things that helps to elevate animal lives to humans. That's what a relationship is, right? I mean, there's no way that you I, as good friends as you and your wife are, or me and my wife are, when you're locked in the house with somebody for seven or eight months. You're going to have bad days and we're going to hiss at each other and then we're going to make up, you know, and, and the cats are the same way. And I think I get a lot of clients and a lot of sort of general questions that are somewhat like that, which, which is why did they hiss at each other? Cause they had a crappy day, you know, it's just today. I don't like your face. Get away from me. Ooh, got the message. I'll go over here. You know, hang, so. <laughs> hang on a minute. Uh, Jackson, you got my house bugged. <laughs> Uh, I, around here, there are some "I hate your faces" thrown around. <laughs> That's it. I, I I always talk about how can we get two cats where we're introducing them to just tolerate one another? Because at the end of the day, sometimes we can make good roommates out of cats, and sometimes it's just "I hate your face." And if it goes on, you know, maybe this isn't the best match. Okay, so Kathy wants to know where she can find your music. Yeah, good luck with that. I uh, Luckily for me, most of my recording career was done before like SoundCloud, Basecamp, any of those types of things. So luckily for me, most of my mistakes don't live on in infamy for the rest of my life. I don't really, I really don't think at this point, unless you look really hard, that you're going to find something that I recorded. But that has been my post- COVID lockdown, not filming life was to um, get back to it and start making some proper recordings. I got to know, though, what was the name of the band? Uh, for many years in Boulder, uh, we uh, I was in a band called Pope of the Circus Gods, and we played a lot all over the place. Um, that was that band, and then I was in another band called I've Been Bad, and I played pretty steadily for all the years I was there. It was about 15 years, and, and I mean, honestly... I've been playing out in clubs since I was underage. <laughs> I was like 14 in New York when I started playing. For as much as I was, I never overthought the tattoos I was getting. I'm like, no, no, just you go and do your thing. You know, here's a here's an image I want. You do all the stuff around it. When it came to recording my music, I was always my own worst enemy because I just was never happy with what I would get. So 
Maybe someday. Brittany, she works for West Valley Humane in Idaho. She wants to know about working with people on these issues, community cats. You know, as we've well established, this is a highly emotional issue. A lot of strong opinions. Um, she didn't say this, but I will. There are people who love you, Jackson, and I'm guessing there are people who do not. Not because of you, the person. I mean, who could hate you, right? But um, because you're so nice, but because of the issue, the species, like who who you advocate for. So when you're in these situations, how are you always making sure that you are positive and empathetic? I mean, I, I would say that over the years, and I've been at it now for 30 years almost, there's only been a real small handful of times that I've just lost it on a client or a member of the public. You know, don't forget, I mean, I cut my teeth on working the front desk of a high volume shelter where people were always giving us their animals or calling us and saying, I'm sick of this cat and bringing him in. How much does it cost? And we were trained to say, you know, look, as long as you bring him here and you don't put him out on the street or do something bad, bring it, you know? And I think that's where I learned a lot of this. But the thing is, I mean, I don't consider myself just sort of a cat empath. I mean, I, I, it goes across sort of, species lines and I, I i like humans and i think that we we get a bad rap saying you know oh i love cats which means i don't love humans or you know i'd rather spend all my time with animals and not humans i actually like humans and i like the time that i spend trying to either sway somebody over all i can tell you is this i mean when it comes to human education and whatever form that education comes you have to be compassionate because nobody has ever learned anything. And believe me, right about now in this country, couldn't be any more obvious when you're yelling at them. And uh, whether that was about declawing, whether that was people coming into my shelter and calling us murderers, you know, um, when we were the ones who were having to deal with what at that point was a, an untenable situation. I mean, I just learned it that way. The only thing I don't have patience for is somebody who either abuses animals in any way, who showed such a lack of care that these animals were in horrible shape. Um, when, when the empathy for the cats overtook the empathy for the human. But yeah, I mean, I get asked that question a lot. Like, how did you put up with this idiot, you know? It's funny because my mom nicknamed me when I was a kid. Of course, this is a very time specific reference but back on the playground she nicknamed me kissinger because i was always trying to break up fights <laughs> i was always trying to like you know just get two other kids from beating each other up and that's just i guess who i am okay so over the years how many photos of people's cats have you seen <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know where to start i mean you mean like people walking up to me in the street type of thing or, Oh God, I have no idea. I mean, I, I would venture to say it's in the tens of thousands. I, I mean, there's not a day that goes by now. Of course it's different because I'm wearing a mask, even though people still, somehow still recognize me. But uh, you know, usually it wasn't a day that would go by without somebody having to show me a picture of their cat. And it, I think it's, 
talk about a fringe benefit, man. I, to me, it's, it's just one of the most beautiful things um, that people like think of their cats so much like their children that they need to show me uh, their pictures. So keep bringing it, man. That's all I got to say. Keep bringing it. Well, it's funny you say keep bringing it. In that case. And it's 10,001. Here's Bob and Carl. Oh, and two. 10,002. God, that is great. I call that sea otter position. Uh, the sea otter. That's uh, that's Bob upside down, fully stretched out. Uh, if people are wondering what the hell sea otter position is, since this isn't video, but um, I imagine you can't uh, sort of get away from that. And I know you said you signed up for it, and it's part of it. But I just I, I like envision you going to the coffee shop, and the entire place is like, oh, that's Jackson Galaxy. And people are like lining up with photos and, and questions. And, you know, I try to put myself in your shoes. I was thinking about this. I, I can't say it would feel like a burden, uh, but to be a face for something like cats, like you are, yeah. uh, it's got to be hard, but you, to just enjoy it as much as you do, uh, at least you seem like you do. I just think that's really cool, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to me, it's always going to be a benefit. You know, it'll be a bad thing the day that people are like not wanting to show you pictures of the cats. That's that's that bodes in the wrong direction. So people love their pets, cats, dogs. Otherwise, I was just thinking about what you said earlier about the concern uh, around the uh, the advertising with my cat from yeah. hell. Yeah, uh, maybe we're not the norm. But we spend a goofy amount of money uh, on our cats here at our house. Um, so it's so crazy to me. I, like, I don't understand how anyone would ever believe that cat owners don't spend money on their cats. Like, How is that ever a question? Yeah, there was a huge question. And let's be honest, there wasn't a big market. I mean, I think that when I started stepping into the whole retail side of things and started putting out my designs and whatever, it was one of those like, okay, people could breathe around this a little bit and say, okay, well, it's okay for me to spend this kind of money on my cat. Dogs were never a question. People always spend money on their dogs. Um, but I think that sort of stereotype of aloof cat and doesn't want to do anything cat, and cat's sort of a piece of furniture, and that kind of thing overwhelmed the white space that was that market. So again, all good things. I mean, we've got at this point, what, 90 plus million cats in American homes alone. Uh, when over a third of people in the U.S. have cats and even and, and like more of them have more than one cat, I think we're getting to a much better place. We just have to like, you know, get over a few of the other humps, but we're getting there. We've covered a ton of ground today, uh, Jackson. Is, is there anything you want to say? You know, we've got the Best Friends audience here, uh, the podcast, a lot of staff of municipal shelters, humane societies, rescues. We've got listeners, they're volunteers and donors, board members. What do you want to say to them? I would say, you know, the, the one thing, and listen, if I got to talk to anybody, I'll talk to the people in, in our sort of circle, in the rescue circle, in the sheltering circle. I, I think one of the best things I've been able to be a part of was something called the Innovation Showdown, which you guys are involved in, um, that every year we would do at uh, HSUS Expo and uh, Petco Foundation started it with me. And being able to say to anybody who works in our world, who are volunteers in our world, and say, constantly think about what you would do differently. Where is there a need? And your thought is important and your imagination and your sense of innovation is important. We are still in that place where the most incredible 
things that we can do for the animals in our care are still undiscovered. We're still in their infancy. Just remember that, of course, the work that you do day to day is crucial, but your imagination, your innovation, and sort of that sense of my input is important will take us to a different place. I always, you know, I always give this example, but if it weren't for the fact that I went to my boss at my shelter and said, hey, listen, we're getting a lot of cats turned in here that I think I can sort of help if I just went to their house. She goes, do it. Just go. You know, I'll pay it. Just go. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't have been able to affect any change at the level that I've been able to. That's all it takes, you know. So I just tell everybody, like, keep yourself fresh. Innovation and imagination helps to stave off compassion fatigue and also take care of yourself. So what's next for you? Because my Um, cat from hell is finished, right? Yeah, my cat's done. And uh, I'm developing two other shows at the moment to see what may happen with those. I'm not telling you nothing about it, not a thing, but uh, it, it's exciting stuff. It, and hopefully uh, it'll come to pass. But, you know, the gears turn very slow and even slower now because of what we're going through. You sure you can't? divulge just like even a tiny bit about those projects because i think i speak on behalf of all listeners of the best friends podcast when i say that we won't tell anyone (laughs) just a little taste no because then someone else is gonna do it man before i even get a chance but it is exciting for me and you know but it's tough because uh, a lot of it requires me getting out of the house so that's gonna be tough but uh in the meantime i mean i'm constantly just working on our youtube channel and growing the resources that we have there uh, all the work that we're doing with jackson galaxy project i think takes the forefront right now because i can and uh i'm working on a new book it's I, I, i'm not good if i sit still for a second so that's what i'm doing now Tell me about the new book. What's that about? Um, the new book is tentatively, it's it's just stories from the years that I've been collecting some really inspirational stories and and then just sort of getting out there and just accompanying them with, with just pictures that are equally inspirational. It's just, you know, I just think at this point, everybody just needs good news and anything that I can help bring to the to the party, I think just makes a better party. And speaking of party, that's the other thing is that we're really trying to grow and develop Cat Camp into being the movement that we were hoping it would be. And it's it's getting there. And the more that we do more Cat Camps, the bigger it gets. We're doing another one, December 5th. Cat Camp at Home for the Holidays is coming. So it's a ton of stuff. And in the meantime, trying to spend some time with my guys here, which, believe me, they forgot what I look like over the years. So you know, I, I don't know what the new TV projects might be, Jackson, but, uh, you know, if you're looking for a fresh new face, uh, you know, I might know someone. <laughs> I'll think of Bob. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bob, probably better. Uh, but seriously, though, man, fresh new face for uh, newspaper. <laughs> I will remember. Jackson Galaxy, I don't think we can underestimate the impact that you've had on this issue and continue to have for that matter. And that you can be shown 10,002 photos of people's <laughs> cats and roll with it and still think it's fun. It, it just speaks to who you are. And uh, listen, the cats really could not have 
someone better to be out there on their behalf. So thank you so much, man. That was awesome. You got it. I just seriously, I just appreciate it and appreciate you. Of course. It's, it's always fun, man. It, it was a lot of fun. I hope you have the best holiday ever and that you and yours are all staying safe. Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, and Mark Peralta are the producers of this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.